America, Washington, D.C., signing on. When the Santa's And it is 2100 Eastern Time or 0100 Zulu, depending on uh, whatever time zone you may be in. Of course, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Uh, as a homage to the late, great, incredible Art Bell. Uh, you know, a little bit of a throwback. But uh, anyhow, it is Sons of Liberty live ver from the virtual Green Dragon Tavern on the air. It is great to be with all of you out there. Uh, we are back on the air. We had a little bit, a very brief hiatus, had some things that uh, had going on. Uh, heck of a lot on my end, of course. The big announcement. The book that has literally been the bane of my existence. Uh, if uh, if only y'all knew some of the struggles out there of uh, writing right. uh, this book, undertaking. Right. Oh, I know. Ian Berlin Game is in here. He he knows the deal. Being a being best selling author himself, uh, it it is. It has been. Uh, Boy, it's been stop and go, stop and go, and uh, but but finally got it kicked out. Had a little bit of a gap in the schedule, had some time, and I set a goal for myself, saying, "Hey, uh, you know, you will get this done. You will have this book finished by the one year anniversary of launching the Gorilla's Guide to the Balfang Breaker. You will have that done." And uh, that was the goal. That was the goal that I set for myself, and that is what has been accomplished. Uh, so it is out there, uh, warts and all, and uh, you can find it on Amazon. I'm going to have my version in-house in Rushbeater.store soon, very soon. I've got a 10-day uh, turnaround, author's copies. That's kind of the, the way it goes with uh, self-publishing. You get your copies last. Uh, they go up on Amazon first, and that is that's where they're going to be. And there is a Kindle version, and there is a uh, standard uh, paper version. Look, and and I'm going to be straight up with you. Um, I don't like electronic books at all. Uh, I think that that uh, they do work for for some people out there. Okay. Uh, but this is not really a book that you want to have an electronic copy of. This is something, I mean, I'm not saying that in like, oh, you, you, you shouldn't have it. Um, 
it's not like that. But what I mean is, is that this is something you're going to come back and reference over and over again. This is a professional reference guide. This is not something that you read for entertainment. Uh, had somebody the other day ask if there was ever going to be an audio book for the Gorilla's Guide to the Balfang Radio. And I was like, no, fuck. No, why? Wait, wait, no, that's uh, no, nah, I'm sorry. Um, I don't write books for entertainment as of now. OK, I, I do have some fiction that, that may come out next year. Been kind of uh, playing around with that a little bit. Um, and, and we'll see, you know, as as time goes on, we'll see. Uh, I wrote fiction at one point in my life and uh, really enjoyed it and haven't haven't returned to that. And, and that was when I was a, a very young undergrad in my uh, late teens, early 20s. And I wrote some some adventure fiction uh, from reading a lot of Ernest Hemingway and uh, really enjoyed it. And, it and, and that was just for me. Uh, that, that was just for me. And I, I, I enjoyed it. And, and um, you know, and, and maybe might return to that. Maybe might return to that, maybe, but but we'll see. Again, professional life, they, there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot that goes into that, and uh, you know, and and I don't, I have not as of now written books for people to uh, sit and be entertained by. That's not the purpose behind it. Uh, so I don't really know what good a, a, a audio book would do for anyone out there. So no, I have absolutely zero desire to do that. Um, th these are things that you really want in ink and paper because of all the reasons I can think of. And that is that is why it is out there. Uh, so, again, you can find it on Amazon. It is uh, hot. It sold a lot of copies today. And, uh, you know, thank you. That warm reception is is really, really awesome to me. Um you know, and, and uh, kind of we, we set the tone. We set the bar very high with the, the yeah, Gorilla's Guide to the Balfang Radio. I think that, that this book, The Gorilla's Guide to Signals Intelligence, is going to open a lot of people's eyes because this is the the complete other end of things. Um, this This is not about communications if, you know, the, the uh, disaster hits or whatever, you know, bullshit, quote unquote, things you can come up with where, you know, it's a localized event. No, this is warfare. OK, this is a book about warfare. This is a book about electronic warfare and using electronics in warfare in a guerrilla war. OK, it, it, it is it, it, it. I don't I, I I'll you know, I'm, I'm going to go on and say it. I'm having some uh, some wonderful uh, lovely uh, Kava tonight in celebration of, of the launching of this book. I uh, haven't been drinking in a while. I uh, haven't, uh, you know, went sober for a little bit just just because uh, it was it was a good thing when I'm writing and when I get dedicated to it. You know, it's 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 important for us to, to keep that sober mind. But um, enjoying a little bit of Kava tonight, which is my my favorite of the uh, uh, bubbly uh, wines that are out there. Uh, Cava is, uh, of course, Spanish. And we're going to be talking a little bit about Spain tonight, but Cava is one of my favorites. Uh, anyway, you know, it's, th this is a book about warfare. Okay. I, I, I don't give a shit about your, you know, whatever people's mythical emergency, let's emergency relief. Look, the reality is this folks. 
there are whole organizations that deal with disaster relief, and that's really not that important to me. It, it's not. I'm going to go on and say it. It, it. it really isn't. That's one of those things. Here's the dirty reality behind it is if you show up with all your things, whatever it is, and you don't have any professional certifications, whatever emergency management agency that's dealing with the incident, and this is international, by the way. This is international. This is not just the United States. This is international. They're going to turn you away. Okay, look, you know, okay, Hurricane Katrina, I get it. Hurricane Rita, I get it. But those were still localized events. And they were relatively brief, right? And and people who didn't have professional qualifications a lot of times got thrown away. I get it. I, I got all the other, you know, I I, I get it. I, I, I got all the other things in mind. That's not who I'm writing for, okay? They already have their stuff. I don't need to write for that. This is about warfare, right? This is about warfare. This is about a people's war. That's what I write about. That's what I do. Okay. Period. End of story. And it is high time. And I'm saying it that way for a reason, because it is high time that you begin to look at things that way. All right. Because we're approaching those days, you know, the whole prepper, whatever, let's, let's have a bunch of stuff. All right. So what is that working towards? What is that goal working towards? Because you as an individual, This is one of the problems on the right. This is what we're going to be diving into tonight, talking about and and examining our Spanish counterparts across the pond. I just want an example of this. There's been too many people on the right to say, oh, I'm just an individual. Oh, well, I'm just, you know, going to go along to get along. Oh, I just wanted to be left alone. Oh, I this. Oh, I that. Me, me, me. I just, I'll lock my door and I'll watch my TV and it'll be somebody else's problem whatever, right, is I got mine, I'm cool. No, I'm sorry. It is long, long, long past time for you to stand up and be counted. And understand that when you do that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That's what's going to happen. And if you want to, if you think that Western civilization is a thing to be saved, if you think that that American civilization and your status of life, your quality of life, is a thing to be saved. That, that what you have in your bank account, your general generational wealth is a thing to be saved. Because the communists in the United States are coming for all of that. That's their language, by the way. Then you damn well better stand up right now and you better be thinking in warfare terms as a warrior. Not as a, well, I'll, you know, well, I'll I'll learn these things. I'll be entertained for a little while by this battery-operated device in my hand. Maybe for a little bit. I want to be entertained. These are all really nice things. I want to hear what the nice man has to say. And it'll be somebody else's problem and they'll fix it. And I want a little safety blanket for me at the end of the day. That's all bullshit. Stand up and be counted. It's not a catchphrase. I don't name things what I do as a catchphrase. Except for a reason. So anyway, with that said, introducing the guests in here. Someone who is... Uh, got a mountain of life experience in all these things that I've been talking about. Mr. E.M. Burlingame. How you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing all right, man. You? Oh, I am squared away. Well, I've got a, I've got a wonderful the question. The question was how you were doing. <laughs> oh, I, I am 
I am doing lovely, sir. I've got well, this I'm, glass of kava here. I'm pleased yeah, that uh, the technology actually works tonight. Well, it does, and you sound wonderful. Well, thank you. I took off the Bluetooth headset tonight. Thank you. So I want to I want to just kind of touch on a little thing you just said, right? Uh, if history is any tell, it ain't the commies we got to worry about. It's the Nazis. Yeah. Because in the English speaking world, in the Western world, communism doesn't really work on us, but fascism does. Right. And more importantly, down underneath, there is one family that has been inimically influencing, if not outright in control of things for about 140 years, 180 if we stretch it out a bit. And that's the house of Saxa, Coburn, and Gotha. Uh, we in the British world call them the Windsors. <laughs> mm. we, we, dove, we dove into the deep end early on tonight. Well, <laughs> I just wanted to, because I, I, I wanted to caution that because the way the House of Saxon, you know, the uh, SCG, shall we say, does all this and has since the late 1800s is they finance and fund through various means the Marxists to go too far and to push the people into a genuine state of fear of their lives and their ways of life such that we are willing to usher in, you know, fascist Nazi tyrants and then for us to look the other way as they go about their eugenicist uh, agenda. Yeah. Well, and, and going back to the podcast, I think it was the last one that we did. You, you gave an excellent description of that and brought it to the forefront in, in, in a way that I think uh, was brilliant in it, its, its succinctness and its, its uh, presentation that, that everybody could, could immediately digest it. That you know, yes, this is real. It's been going on. It never stopped. And we just picked up the mountain. Yeah. Well, what did Clausewitz say? Wars never end. They just change phase. Indeed. Right. Indeed. Uh, like my, like my alcohol tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, are, are you, are you sipping some Spanish wine as well? No, 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 no. Actually, uh, here down on the border doing some Mexican beer. Uh, but I have been debating opening a bottle of Napa wine. Eh, that's, that's okay. Yeah. I, I, I find it hard to beat. Um, uh, give me a second. I can't remember. Leo, Leocra, right, on Twitter now. I'm not going to use his mm -hmm. real name if he doesn't want me to. Ron, I'll just call him Ron. Right, right. Right. Uh, I find it very hard in my own stocks to uh, surpass the Rio he had me drink uh, the last time we were all talking. Which one was it? Oh, goodness. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll have to get back to you on that one. 
I've got a pretty decent collection of them here. That, that's just why I was I was curious. Nah. Well, I'm just a neophyte when it comes to Riojas. Um, but I will say if I go try and do the Hemingway thing for the second Spanish Civil War, I might get a little more into Rioja. You know, and and I am I am something of a of a Hemingway aficionado. Not to, uh -oh. to go not to bore people with that. No, I, I the man was brilliant. Um and th there was something that you commented on, on Twitter. I think now what what who was it? It may have been you mm -hmm. uh, that shared a uh, uh, Hunter S. Thompson quote about no 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 no. It was I know who it was now. It wasn't you, but it was it was another guy that I follow. That, that's that's another uh, incredibly deep thinker. He, he's a Marine Corps officer, uh, very deep thinker, very very sharp guy, and um, he, he's another one that that I think the world of. Uh, it, it, as as an intellectual and, and just a, a warrior poet, but um, it, it was it, Hunter S. Thompson's was talking about how uh, people had had criticized Hemingway and you know like after the fact in the sixties, yeah. he yeah. he was this or he was that or he, they were trying to analyze it, but none of them could rise to his greatness, and that was the reason that they were criti critiquing him one way or another was because they they couldn't do what he could do. And, um, you know, that, that was, I thought that that, that was, they, there was, I don't know. My mother knew Hunter S. Thompson when we were young, when I was very young. I don't know if I met him or not. I think I did, but I would have been very young. I never got to meet Hemingway, of course, but I met Mariel and uh, one of the granddaughters uh, and I lived in Sun Valley when I was first trying to be a writer, ooh, gosh, 30 years ago now. Um, and Hemingway was a huge influence on me when I was young, uh, long before I was trying to be a writer, actually, just his way of thinking and expressing the reality of the world. And not right. as much in his, um, you know, his great books, which are extraordinary. But most people don't realize that Hemingway wrote a good number of short stories and mm -hmm. his true brilliance, I think, in terms of um, succinctly, clearly identifying the human reality are, were, was done in his short stories. Like the, um, my favorite, which is the short, unfortunate life of Francis McComb. Yeah. And I think everybody should read it, particularly now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. I, I particularly enjoyed the white elephant. Oh, that's another great one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I uh when I know we're we're going long into this, but when, when I was a young man, I think I may I may have been in middle school. We called it junior high school. I, I may have been in junior high school when I read it. Um but that was when I learned how to write conversation mm. between how, how you develop characters through their conversation. Yeah, um, narrative and dialogue. Yeah. Right. Because I, I even remember, uh, very, very vividly remember it. I, I, I had a, a wonderful, wonderful English teacher 
um, back then who who was was uh, I, had, I had a couple of them that, that were incredible um, to to be in a, a very poor rural uh, public school in, in North Carolina. We, we, I, I was blessed in that regard, but um, I even remember when, and you know, I was, I was in, they put me in all the advanced classes and stuff. And um, I remember writing down what they're actually talking about because they, it, when the first time that I read the story, I had no idea what they were talking about. I had no frame of reference. And I, I, I just knew that, that it was it was a man and a woman that were having a conversation about something at lunch. And then it, then it dawned on me. It, I think it was the third time that I read it because I was trying to figure out what it was about. And um, then I figured it out. I said, oh, wow. Uh, this this is extremely deep on on something that's written on the surface to be. You know, seems like it's just a whimsical. You're you're getting a glimpse of a lunch between a man and a woman who had a romantic flame, and they're having a they're they're having a life altering conversation that you're privy to, but they're they're not revealing it. And it was that 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 was I think that was one of the most important things that that uh, I ever read at, up until that point. That and Faulkner, Faulkner was the other one. Oh. Uh, for different reasons, uh, for very different reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he, Faulkner was was I, I connected with Faulkner for other reasons. He, he was, um, he Faulkner wrote in a style that was very familiar to the environment that I grew up in. So I understood his characters. I understood all of them. I understood. So what, do you, what do you What do you mean by that? The environment you grew up in on East the, Coast. Yeah, the just rural, southern. Uh, everyone's uh, uh, everyone interacts on a very implicit level because they all know one another. Very well. they're, they're so, yeah, right. And and yeah. so uh, Faulkner. One of the things people don't understand about Faulkner was that, and I think it's partly misattributed to being a stream of consciousness. Is that um, he's giving you a snapshot? of rural culture that that the reader may not be privy to otherwise and so you're getting a this this unique um window into culture that that you probably wouldn't get if you were an outsider to to that place they the, those people there would not talk to you mm -hmm. um, Mm. And you're you're now privy to all this. You're privy to the goings on of whatever fictional place in Mississippi that he, he's writing about. Um, you know, and, the and so the, to me, the, the mind and culture of the people, right? Which, which in the time that he was writing, um, you know, radio, the early years of radio and television, and or movies rather. Um, the mind and culture of the people was not something that was well known or understood. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's so fascinating. And that era, um, that whole era of, of literature, because Hemingway and Faulkner, and, and they were presented to us juxtaposed to one another mm. um, because they, they were very, I mean, they were contemporaries of one another. And so they, but they were very opposite. Uh, Faulkner was famous for other reasons. Hemingway was wildly popular, and his uh, his writing was excellent, but that was overshadowed by him 
just Hemingway the well, painter. Hemingway was a character, and right that his art equaled the character is something that hasn't been equaled, I think, since. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 you're exactly, and and we just don't have, uh, for whatever reason, we just don't have the the. Um, we just we just don't have outlets for those those types of characters anymore. I, I'm not sure why. I included. Well, I, I, a little I don't. Bit. Well, the outlets one thing. Um, give me a second. <laughs> the concept and idea that we're all created equal is the most destructive concept and idea. Uh, it is the very concept and idea that has eroded and destroyed Western civilization in the last. Right hundred plus years and give me a second there used to be an understanding that we weren't all created equal except for in one way and the way in which we were all created equal was that we all had equal burden uh right it might not be the same burden but you know i grew up on uh, victor hugo the french author of yes. the uh, 17 early 1800s i grew up on uh tolstoy and dostoevsky and um and hg wells of course right and right um these were all you know upper middle class upper class writers who were um very much articulating the concepts and ideas that we weren't all equal but but while we were not equal with one another in our social milieu, we were fairly equal with one another in the burdens we had to bear. And that as you went up the social classes, there was not less of a burden to bear, but there was a greater burden that was born um, in the nastiness and the conflicts and the all out warfare uh, in great houses and amongst great peoples. And I, I think Hemingway was one of the last writers, uh, particularly the last American writer, although I think maybe there's a couple others, uh, Capote and some others, that really kind of articulated that, right? That there was a the one thing that made us equals, we were all carrying a bunch of shit, but the shit that we were carrying uh, is very different given the class upon which or or into which we were born and live i think you hit the nail on the head that's um that is an excellent way of putting that um and the only thing that i was going to add to that is uh i include or I included, it, it, you know, the whole first 10 minutes of shows are about how, you know, I don't write for entertainment and, and, and I didn't, did, you know, the, the books that I've, I've published are published with purpose. Um, but I did put a, an homage to Hemingway in the signals intelligence manual because. Oh, no shit. Fun fact. I did. I did. Fun fact. This is something, this is a story a lot of people don't know is that during World War II, Ernest Hemingway took Pilar, which was his yacht. Yes. Uh, he had a 34-foot yacht that was uh, a yeah. wooden yacht. And uh, that boat is in Havana Harbor in Cuba. Yeah, it's By a the boat, way, they have yacht. it there. You, you got to be above something meters before it's a yacht. But 
Yeah. I, yeah but yeah. anyway, he, he had a, a what they call a huff duff. Yeah. On yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a, a HFDF. Yeah. So it, what, what he had was an HF radio yep. with a loop antenna on mm. the top of it. And you would turn this. You can still buy these on eBay, by the way. They, they have mm. vintage ones from the, the 40s and the 50s because mm. they still used them uh, in airports up until uh, the mid-1960s when they started uh, buying Adcock arrays and, and then radars. But um, he had a, a Huff Duff that he put on his boat on Pilar and he was, he was hunting down uh, German U-boats. Yeah. He was doing signals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, triangulating. He wasn't the only one. There were other, um, quote unquote, yes. hobby boaters that were out there. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, he, he, he literally had cases of hand grenades and a Thompson machine gun. And he's just going out. And I mean, you know, it, what what was he really doing? I mean, I, I'm sure, and I think that right this in the book that I, I'm sure that he he was serious about what he was doing. Uh, knowing Hemingway, he, he, he's pretty serious about what he's doing. Think about what he saw in the Spanish Civil War, exactly, right? and, and the World communists, the fascists, and the quote unquote Republicans, uh, which would be you know the uh, Democratic Republicans, I guess you'd say here. And he saw the bloodshed of all of that, and he saw yeah. what fascism could lead to um that mean he knew it personally yeah. yeah you know and he's i mean he's going out there and he's he's probably uh consuming a little more rum than what is healthy for all of us <laughs> but uh the, the same could be said of myself a time or two or three or four uh, so <laughs> I started, uh, I, in, I, I think you and I talked about this before, but when I started in tech, it was software, but then I got into telecommunication technology in the late nineties. And that's actually what started my career. Well, after I got out of the corporate restructuring world, even there, actually we were doing tech stuff, but I started in telecommunications technologies, built companies, invested in companies, uh, was an analyst for, uh, large investments in. And then I went naturally to be a uh, 18 Echo in Special Forces when I went into my 40s there. Uh, I, you know, uh, give me a second. The actress, what was her name? Hedy Lamar, right? In World War II, who designed frequency hoppers. Uh, frequency hoppers. Yes, for right? subs, for yeah. torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. That that time, you know, with Hemingway out with the the hobby uh, boating folks, uh, Hedy Lamar with uh, frequency hopping, etc. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary how impactful telecommunications are on certain people's lives, and the people that are really really good at telecom technologies and uh, radio technologies in particular, we should say, also tend to have a very creative bent in their life. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I mean, I've read it from ear to ear. That's, that, that's, uh, that, that's kind of described a, a certain portion of my life quite well as uh, also. Mm. So, 
<laughs> I, I, I do have to ask you, because I've actually been wondering this. How the bloody hell did somebody with your background come to all of this knowledge and experience and, and pursuit? I, uh, I don't know that story. So I, I'm actually fascinated to hear that. So, yeah, it, well, it, and that's one that actually a lot of people ask me. I, I had somebody uh, uh, DM me the other day. Was, you're, you're not mating that guy? I was, no, I was, I was never in special forces. Uh, not, a, not, not in that community. Um, I, uh, you know, for, for everybody that's, that's wondering, I, I was a, uh, soldier in a long range surveillance company. Um, you know, you, you can look those up. It's, uh, long range surveillance doesn't exist anymore. Unfortunately. Um, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was always interested. It kind of had a, uh, uh, I always kind of had a fascination with radio, uh, even going back to, to when I was a kid. Mm. And uh, kind of had, I wouldn't say, a, a, certainly not a natural talent for, for figuring out things, but I, I at least sit down and, you know, kind of experiment with stuff and, and, you know, figure things out. And um, I don't know, it, when when I was in the long range surveillance company, when I, I was a, a platoon RTO for a little while uh, when I was a, a line infantryman. And uh, then when, when I got to Lurse Company, uh, my first detachment commander was, he, he had been an 18 Echo. Um, he had been an 18 Echo, uh, was a, uh, a Sergeant First Class, and then uh, commissioned as an officer, and he was doing his platoon leader time at Lurse Company. Before he went back over to SF and um, that it was just one of those things where, you know, we got told, Hey, you know, you're a good infantryman. That's why you're here. You're, you're already good at all the infantry stuff. You know, this is what you really need to learn. And, um, you know, I, I kind of took to all of that. And then it really, it really started to sink in when, um, you know, I, I, was I'd already kind of made up my mind that I was getting out of the army and I started looking at all these things like, all right, you know, I know, I know all the shoot and move and I know how to train people to do all that stuff. And I know how to do all these things. Right. And, and there's a bunch of guys that are, that are talking about this or training people to do this. Um, you know, I never intended on getting into firearms training world either. Um, never intended on any of that, but it's just how it worked out. And, um, but how do you, how do you create the same capability on the civilian side that I had, you know, while I, I was in the army and I was trying to figure this out while I was in the army, you know, how, how do you do all that? Um, you know, and, and so it, it was kind of a, a journey of, uh, studying a lot about this stuff and, and working hard to figure it out. Um, and, and a lot of experimentation and a lot of time and, um, you know, it, it just, I, I don't know, it, it, it just ended up working out that way. And then I was able to make concepts that I already understood, you know, uh, communication security, you know, how do you, if you don't have a native comsec built into your equipment, which you probably shouldn't rely on anyway, because if you didn't build it, then you don't completely own it. How do you 
you know, how, how do you resolve those issues? Okay. So if all you have is analog and that, that's, that's it. Now, how do you approach all these problems? Well, look into the past. Um, how did they do it previously? What, what was their operating practices, uh, back in the early days? How do you do those things? How do you resolve these issues? And, um, you know, it is, so I began to mate, you know, what I knew from my own experience and my own training with, uh, you know, the, the current off the shelf technology, because the other reality is this, um, we can sit and talk about, you know, all the, the high speed, awesome pieces of kit and technology and stuff, but, but the end user out there. You know, the average American who is, you know, they're, they're reeling from, um, you know, inflation is, is really kicking them in the nuts and, you know, they, they can barely afford, um, you know, the sticker shock of, of the high cost of living that, that's, that's in our contemporary environment. And so what are they likely to be equipped with as far as communications goes? A Balfang radio. Right. That's what they're going to have. Does it have a bunch of drawbacks? Yeah. And I talk about that, you know, in, in both of the combo books, you know, these, this is how you overcome it, though, because you have to work with what you have, not with what you wish you had. Um, and and uh, yeah, so it, that, that's kind of what brought me to it. it. It was it was a lot of studying, uh, a lot of learning from my betters and uh, listening anytime. Anytime somebody that, that I knew and recognized as this guy knows, he's forgotten more than I'm ever going to know. And there's, there's a lot of those guys along the way uh, that, that have taught me so, so much. And you shut up and you listen. And uh, I think that, that you wrote a piece about that you put up on Twitter just the other day. Sometimes you, mm. you know, shut up and listen. And, and that's yeah. uh, that resonates. Shut up and let the... the one person who may be three layers below you, your junior, but is the expert on that thing. Let them talk. Yeah. Damn right. Yeah. Or in tonight's case, the one that might be three or four drinks more sober than you, let them talk. <laughs> well, it is, it's only 37 minutes into this thing. So I hope they're not too drunk yet. Let's, uh, let's, let's move on down the line. I guess some of these other guys in here, I know so a couple of these characters over. The man, the myth, the legend, the guy who also has published another book before mine, though, but I told him, by the way, sitting across from me, let me, let me tell y'all verbatim and correct me if I'm wrong, but I was literally sitting across from you at a dinner table in somewhere really nice, really beautiful in Montana, not that long ago. At a four-star restaurant, wonderful, wonderful hotel and lodge. Instead, I'm gonna have that book done by one December. And you, you laughed at me, and you said, "Oh, he's got the Mark Sibley curse. Look at him. He's got the Mark Sibley curse. He ain't gonna get it done." <laughs> <laughs> I did say that. I did say that because, you well, did. the. The the bartender had just given uh, given me and, and the duke another round, so it's, it's it's not entirely my fault. So blame it on the penalty. Blame it on the penalty. It's penalty. But uh, but you know you did get it done, so congratulations. Uh, I've got a copy on the way. Uh, okay. Well done, Thank well deserved. And uh, back to the beginning when you said that about the uh, 
about the audiobooks. That's the number one question I get. Hey, man, you need to get an audiobook out. No, my books are references for you to take in the field. It's never going to be an audiobook. I'm sorry. Um, that's just not the way it works. So I'd rather y'all uh, get out there and use it. Uh, you mentioned Montana. I'm sipping on some Montana whiskey right now. Um, some five-year Whistling Andes whiskey. Good stuff. But uh, oh, it's been a good day today. They So they had that at the bar. So the, the, the night before, uh, when I was we, – we were hanging out at the bar the uh, night prior to, to y'all coming to dinner. And um, – the bartender was was top shelf, man. That dude was all over it. You could tell that, like, he lived fine whiskey, fine rum. We, we had, we, I mean, Scott. His, I'm, I'm going to tell you, this dude's knowledge of Scott was endless, literally endless. And and we had, we, oh, it was awesome. Right? This it was, is it was awesome. But um, he, they had a bottle of that there. And uh, he asked me if I'd had it. I said, no, you know, but, but we were talking about uh, Willie's and, and uh, Willie's distillery over in Ennis and uh, mm -hmm. big fan of them, big shout out to them. Willie's distillery uh, makers of Bighorn bourbon, which is incredible. Devil's Brigade. And, and in case any of y'all didn't know the story behind Willie's is that Willie was an 18 Delta. He was a from North Carolina, by the way, he grew up in the mountains and uh, retired. So he's Appalachistani. He retired and uh, moved out, married him a Montana girl, and started bootlegging out there. Started, uh, but doing it legal and uh, makes makes some incredible whiskey. Uh, some incredible whiskey. But yeah, that. It's Some of that stuff, devil's brigade out there. Watcher brought it over, and it was pretty good. Um, well, Stan yeah. and I were just driving around, and and we drove past Whistling Andy's. We're like, hey, let's pull in here and try this. Pretty good stuff. So I, I, I turned Watcher on to Willie's, and uh, when, oh, did when you? I oh, okay. him, yeah, because I when when I did class out in Idaho Falls, you know, he he came over and was like, hey man, you know, like let's go to the liquor store. And uh, hook you up with, with something good. I said, "Cool, man. I, you know, I'll do the same for you, brother." It's it, you know, because he he was he wasn't in the class, but he was just out. And uh, go over to the liquor store. There there was this really cool lady in there, uh, older lady, you know, who who was just talking a bunch of trash. And you know, she's typically the, the typical old lady working in the liquor store that you just like to talk to. Uh, and I, I sent her one of our one of our uh, our whiskey grows, just because she is she didn't believe me. Like she asked me like what brought me to Idaho Falls. She's like nobody with Carolina accent comes to Idaho Falls. You know, <laughs> you know and I was like, well, I'm teaching a class now. Here she goes teaching a class. Was, yeah, I run a little company. You know, and I showed her the website. She still didn't believe me. I said, well, you know, what, whatever. I'll send you something cool, you know, when I get home. And she's a real cool lady. But anyway, no, I, I totally turned him on to, to Willie's Bighorn Whiskey and uh, Devil's Brigade. And we picked up the last yeah. two bottles they had there. And, yeah, it was pretty yeah. good. It was pretty good stuff. So, good times. Good times. Yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. 
Let's let's move on down the list so we can get some work done before the the hour cometh. Johnny Pad Chupa. Uh yes, sir. Yes, sir. If you yes, uh yes, sir. if you ever picked up a radio by the antenna, you have to drink right now. Oh that's me, but while while it was broadcasting or no. Um, oh well, man, that's tricky. I don't know. You can burn the shit out Looks of your like hand I'll have to if drink. it's powerful yeah. enough and broadcast it. <laughs> if it's bare wire, if it's bare or wire, my ex-wife. One of one of the one of the fun things to do to all the new guys when we go to the field and we'd pull out the Prick One Fifties, which is a, a Harris HF radio, um, which looks conspicuously like a, a TBR One Nineteen. By the way. But um, you would, uh, we we would build HF antennas in the field, and uh, you know, be bare copper wire or whatever off of a cobra head, and uh, we'd tell one of the new guys to go over there and, and touch it, or or hey, you know, pee under the wire, and you, you've got it stretched out low to the ground for for invis, and um, you know, hey, pee under the wire. So that it, the the salinity of of the uh, dirt underneath it will will uh, uh, increase the reflectivity, and uh, when you do that, you know you, when when they're doing that, you hit the tune button, and it, it sends a you know it sends energy down the wire. It'll shock them. It's like oh man, you know you get a good little RF burn going on. <laughs> it's good times. Kind of like peeing on a uh, electric fence uh, as a challenge when you're a kid. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if the rest of y'all country boys, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you you gotta do that. That's uh. Well, you know, my I, mom I, raised fat mom. kids, not dumb ones, so we didn't do that. Well, jokes on you. I'm both, so whatever. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, if you're your own worst critic, then what everybody else says doesn't matter. So <laughs> I'm kind of more the I'm more of the uh, less the self critic and more the Monty Python now for something completely different. They, yes, yes. See, that's the true way to be an optimist, right there. That 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 you know in toads. Oh man, the Duke of Montana, a brand new, brand new guest in here, but not a new guest. Not a new guest, but the, the, the Duke of Montana coming in to the Green Dragon Tavern. What's going on, brother? That bottle of the Devil's Brigade is sitting in front of me that the watcher brought up. Couldn't hear you. Couldn't hear you. Can you say that again? Yeah, volume's a little low. So I said that bottle of Devil's Brigade that we were talking about is sitting in front of me as we speak. So there you go. Oh, I just heard the, I heard the cork pop. I heard the cork pop on that. That's uh, you. You may make me. Nah, I probably ought to not do it. I, I don't want to cross streams. Let's see. Too late. 
Too late now. Yo, yo. <sighs> I have you a bottle. Said, you said cross streams, and so now you got to keep fucking going. Oh. Y'all are, uh, see, I feel like I'm being hazed right now. But the reality <laughs> is, is that I'm hazing myself. So, you know, making up for the fact that I didn't drink for an entire week. You guys have been flirting so. for like 50 minutes. <laughs> Just letting you know. I, 47. 47, sir. Well, I'll have you know, 47. Aren't you late for a JMPI or something? Uh, prop, like, you know, actually... Get the green ramp. They used to make me get there early because they knew me pretty well, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they make you get there early. Speaking of getting the green ramp early and getting banned off of YouTube, uh, <laughs> last but certainly not least in the shoot in here, Mr. Risky Crisky. I don't think he's. Really he he is showing up on the control panel. He is not in here. He is not on my panel. He's crisped. Uh, he, he is burnt, crisped out. He he. Well, poor risky, risky, risky probably doesn't want to get banned because of something he says on this show that might get him double secret probation from. YouTube. He's on their naughty <laughs> list right now. I told him I told him earlier today, look, man, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I quit sharing this podcast on YouTube. It used to auto-populate over there. Um, we, we would get two strikes. One strike would go away. Then we'd get another strike. And it was like this endless cycle. And look, I don't give two fucks what some blue-haired freak that doesn't know what fucking bathroom it's going to. It's a genetic dead end. I don't give a fuck about what they think. And those are the people who are judging whatever, you know, we, we and look, this show, nothing that we say on the show, there's no wild eyed conspiracy theories. We're not talking about trafficking children to fucking Mars or, uh, you know, your, your, your uh, uh, AM radio is listening to you. Like I guess was on one of the Sean Ryan shows or none of that bullshit. We're not talking about this is like everything that we're talking about. There's no conspiracy to it. Those stuff comes true. Like it's give it two weeks. It, it, it's a fact, right? We back it all up. with says, we know what we're talking about, um, you know, but anyway, it, it's, but the, the thing is, is that YouTube, Etc. 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 Is uh, really just uh, it's uh, it, it it is political speech and it's political censorship and and that's what they do. It's um, getting, I, I will say this though, if I might, having met Sergey and Larry back in the day, and having watched a 2012ish, maybe as earlier uh, movie that was made as a direct threat by the CIA against the social media giants. That was the last Jason Bourne movie with um, with that fucktard yep. from the Northeast, Matt Damon, right? Tommy Lee Jones. Well, yeah, that's a, exactly he, right. He was watch bad, watch yeah. that. You, you, you got to watch that. And then yep. Yep. really take in mind that was a direct threat against the social media guys. And I, I come from Silicon Valley. 
Right yeah, now. I think there's a lot of truth to that movie. Yeah. Right. So we got to be careful not to give them a, a pass, but we also got to, you know, ain't none of us here in that have had a fucking top blockbuster movie with top actors in it that was directly telling us, if you fucking talk, we'll kill you. Right. Right. Um, that being said, uh, the oligarchs, those oligarchs heard that and were threatened by that and saw what came of it. And they are now pushing back. And while Twitter, um, excuse me, uh, you said YouTube, um, the conversation that Elon was having just the other day about Twitter and where he said, fuck the advertisers and I'll, I'll pay a hundred dollars a month for fucking Twitter. If he can hold that up. Uh, and I think he can, but uh, the point is, is that that threat that was made against truly some of the smartest human beings that have ever walked the earth that are, that are ludicrously wealthy and connected was going to get a natural reaction. And that reaction make time, will take time and has to be done careful because none of them wanted to get actually killed. But we're starting to slowly see that reaction and so youtube is slowly and carefully backing away the problem is as uh elon alluded to though didn't say directly but for anybody paying attention did is that all of the middle level and higher level management in those companies are the enemy and while they the oligarchs may without trying to get themselves fucking killed or hung up on child pornography charges because somebody hacked and put shit on their phones and computers, et cetera. While the oligarchs may be trying to not go to prison and hold everything together and push back, there are layers and layers and layers of people in their companies, their massive corporations, two to generate, you know, two roughly two generations of which went to these elite liberal arts schools who are the enemy. And what Elon was basically saying in that interview is he might have to shut Twitter down and start something completely new just to get rid of all of the in-house threat. Yeah. No, I agree with that a thousand. And again, not, not to give these fuckers a pass, by the way, right? But Well, yeah, and in a corporate model, a lot of people don't realize this if, if you're outside of that, but it's expensive to fire people. Like, it, it is very well, it's, expensive it's, to it's, fire people. It's not the economic expense. It's the false accusations and the innuendos. and That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it, okay, okay. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, not the it, money. It, it's it easier. Give somebody a fucking severance. It's... Not easy right. having to have a camera and four neutral people around you for every fucking conversation and meeting you have in your company because you don't know who's trying to set you the fuck up. And, and they all are. And many of them are. And it's the same in the whole, you know, unconventional warfare space, right? Because that's what that is. And I've written a whole right. series of articles on the similarities of unconventional warfare and business, right? I believe you wrote a book about that. I did. Couple, Yeah. Yeah. No, they're primers. And by the way, anybody's reading them, I wrote them when I had severe brain injury, so the readability might not be so good. Content's good. Readability, 
I might need to get an editor in there, but um, yeah. So when you are, and I, I, this is in the latest chapter in the book, right? Anybody that rises above a certain level of capacity on their own, not being a uh, artificially constructed fucking golem, which none of the tech giants are, none of them are golems. They made themselves with some help and some with a lot of help. But the point is, is that you don't rise above a certain level in society with, <clears throat> excuse me, influence over certain corporations and certain financial institutions without being a fucking target every minute of your fucking day from every goddamn fucking vector that is possible. Right. And we forget that, right? We, we talk all this shit about these people. And we don't realize, holy shit, they're embedded in, they're embedded in a conflict we don't fucking engage in. Yeah. No, nah, it, it, it is. And, and um, one of the things we're going to get into and, and, you know, coming up on the hour, uh, they, they also have been indoctrinated in, in talking about the, you know, these troglodytes. Uh, they've been indoctrinated. Well, it, it, I'm trying to think of how to put this. There's an indoctrination that they have been granted to they've been privy to, they've been a part of, that they have come up in, that is that is 100% Herbert Marcuse, Frankfurt School. And that has fomented them in, in a particular direction where there is no debate, there is no conversation, there is no, uh, there's not even room to question the, the, uh, the outcome of, of, or the, the consequence of whatever this horrible idea is, the the, the genesis of it all, they 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 you're, you're you cannot question this. Um, that is what inhabits a lot of the tech industry right now. It, it that that mid level leadership. Um, they also are a product of hideously soft upbringing, and because of that, they. They cannot accept dissent. They cannot. They they see they because they they genuinely do. Uh, the the what I I call them poisonous tree frogs. The pink hair, the purple hair, the blue hair, whatever the fuck. They're poisonous tree frogs. That's what they, I mean. That is nature's signal to the you know something's wrong. Leave them alone. Just let them you know something wrong. Genetic dead ends. And when whenever I see that. You know, I, I know that, okay, you came up in a suburban environment. You probably played too many video games. You had an unhealthy diet of SSRIs. And this is what it has created. And your, you daddy, can't did, and your, daddy, and your daddy didn't love you. No. Well, no, no. If he was no, even there. He was doing whatever the fuck else, getting yeah. away from you. Yeah, you know, but I, I have a question for you. So forgive me. I, I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, that that's okay. So give me a second. When you when we look at the socioeconomic class of those with the um, alternate hair colors, shall we say, right? Mm -hmm. Most of them come from the lower middle class and the lower class. 
uh, and while they are verbose and uh, entertaining, shall we say, they're not the real <laughs> threat. The real threat looks like us and talks like us and right. um, went to the good schools and comes from the good families and are resentful for the fact that, well, I'll tell you honestly, the people that I have met in my life that are the, by far the most resentful are the middle class and the upper middle class. Yep. Uh, and particularly the upper middle class. They are, they grew up sheltered and protected and cradled their whole life. So they don't know if they're capable of something, but they also know that they're not the upper class and that they're probably never going to get there. And they're incredibly resentful of that. And they will do any craven thing necessary to change their station in life or prevent anybody else from rising above their station in life. Right. Right. It, it, in, I, in I agree world, a thousand percent that. And, and, and they are the danger, right? Because they're the ones that go to the schools and get the titles and, and have the relationships, et cetera. I'm not, I'm not worried about the, the pierced, odd, odd color. I'm not concerned with the odd colored hairs because I'm mostly colorblind anyways. Um, legitimately. They, 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 they end up, though, and, and what I'm saying is they end up is the lower mid-level management in well, the tech. they don't actually. Actually, they don't. Um, they're the support jobs. They're they're right. the support jobs. The, these these are the people who take up the censorship jobs. That that's, that, well, that's that, that well, actually, it's not so much the censorship. They take up what's called the the mediation job or the uh, moderation jobs. And the reason is because of I can't remember the act, the legal act. There was a legal act put forward in the early 2000s. This is pre-Patriot um, uh, Patriot Act time that if you had an online uh, business, you had to provide moderation of the communications that were happening through your platform. And if you, this is actually in, a, in an episode of Silicon Valley, I think, because somebody told me I've never watched the fucking show because I grew up with these people. Um, yeah. Uh, if you did not moderate your channel, the the SEC uh, uh, fine was like fifteen hundred dollars per per instance, and that could balloon out of control. So what happened is, companies first outsourced to a friend of mine, uh, Lyle Fong's company called Lithium Technologies, and they did these moderated um, communities for corporations, big corporations big corporations, et cetera. And then they realized they couldn't keep up. And so they provided the, uh, before he sold the company, um, uh, they provided the, uh, uh, an infrastructure whereby corporations could have, you know, open public citizens to do this moderation stuff uh, for free. Well, the problem is, is that when you offer something of any kind of import and influence in the world for free, who the fuck does that attract? It's not the good, kind-hearted, generous people because they're too fucking busy living their life in their network. 
it's right. all these little shitty fucking people. So, you know, the pierced and alternately colored peoples um, tended to actually not have very, uh, in terms of the hierarchy of the companies, uh, and I built two of these companies, Silicon Valley and invested in a bunch of others. It wasn't, um, hey, good night, Duke. Um, night, Duke of Montana. You have retired for the evening, good sir. He's got to go run the hound, the uh, Irish wolfhounds in the morning. Um, <laughs> what what we found is that it, it you know, what I found was that it, it was the more lower level support, not even paid position people that were these loud, obnoxious, um, not so much obnoxious, but these these loud and disproportionately influencing peoples on the company. And because they insinuated themselves into the dialogue uh, and the interpretation of the dialogue, initially again through this moderation, uh, they wound up having a very disproportional voice in the company and could provide an extraordinarily, not could provide, but did act as an extraordinarily dangerous influence on leadership because they were interpreting what the customer client community was saying in all of these moderation channels. That's fascinating. And, and Thanks. the higher level folks had no idea how to assess that because they, they had no time to monitor all these channels. You know, as an aside, they, there's, I, I haven't watched Silicon Valley in, in you know, I, I really don't have time to, but um, a show that, that was horribly overlooked a few years ago that I think that you would really enjoy um, horribly overlooked had the, the wonderful uh, Toby Huss in it, who uh, he's, he's a voice actor for King of the Hill and he's been in a bunch of stuff. Great, great act. Very, very versatile. Um, but it was uh, Halt and Catch Fire. And it kind of, Halt and Catch Fire kind of captivated the, the late 80s, early 90s, into the mid-90s tech boom. Um, in, and, and it was centered in uh, both Silicon Valley and Austin, Texas. And mm. so it kind of, it, it, it was all of these startup companies, and it kind of just, you know, all the characters were based on real people. They were fictionalized versions of real people. Uh, John McAfee was was fictionalized yeah. uh, in that show, and um, who I think is is probably he he's another American original man. And, and you know, I grinned from year to year. I think he was I, killed. I, I have no doubt he yeah. was killed. None. Yeah, absolutely. None. Having run no across him year many decades ago, a couple decades ago. God knew at a party. What's that? So he knew at a party. He did, he but he was also, if you knew him personally, he was extraordinarily careful and and not the yeah. you know, one one of the I might or might not run across a certain guy named Jeffrey decades ago, uh, and recoiled against him immediately and then got blacklisted. Uh, in uh, Silicon Valley, uh, New York, and London, and LA because of it. But 
it's too easy in the post Epstein world to label certain people with certain behaviors that they themselves were actually dead set against. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. I, I, yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Anyways, I've been, I've been, been hogging here. So, you know, those no, no, it's, Johnny. it's so yeah. fascinating. It's so fascinating. So if, if I might, we, we were going to talk about yeah. Spanish Civil War. Perhaps we should, Spanish Civil War part perhaps we should uh, get to that. We're, we're jumping yeah. into that. We, we've got one more co-host that oh. is coming in here. Uh, Patriot Man from the, the, uh, the great Northeast. Up from the broadcasting live from the Lincoln Tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. You up there with not. JoJo? You up there with JoJo from Jersey? From the Jersey? Oh, from JoJo from Jersey? I'll tell you right now, man. JoJo <laughs> from Jersey? I, I don't even know. I mean, I, you know, you know, I can fix her. Uh, <laughs> nah, how are you boys doing tonight? No, to be honest, I, you know, Scout, you and I were talking earlier today, and I just. Given our, our back and forth, I just assumed there was nothing going on tonight. And then I happened to just open a pod beat and I saw the live cast on. And I was like, oh, because I know you got travel and, and you and you got like, you know, the store did absolutely amazing. Shout out to all of y'all who support Brush Beater and American Partisan because the store had just an amazing response over this holiday weekend. And I hope you all had a very loving and blessed Thanksgiving. Hey, you know, it, it, it's and I didn't even talk about that. The opening monologue, you know, the, the book being released. Yeah. So, so many big things. It, you know, the, the book, though, like the, the Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and, and all that, that was actually on the back burner for me. Yeah. Because I was I, the yeah, book I, I was getting the text messages with the screenshots of yeah. as you were writing it. Each section you were sending me a picture of. And so when I got the final section when you're about to publish, I was like, all right, here we go. Uh, and and I'm telling you, I, I cannot wait. I ordered my copy this morning. You boys are the ones. You, Dolio, you, the, the the two of you, and I have. I hey, I got I got the 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 data to prove it. You guys made the Black Friday, Cyber Monday shopping event. Uh, what it is. Because of all your hard work of putting the word out, um, you know it's and, all teamwork, I, man. It's all teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. It is, folks. Um, you know their their affiliates. I, I have an affiliate program, and um, you know when they they put it out there, you're supporting them. You click that link, they get a commission off of that stuff. And so, and, um, so I got a question yeah, for you, Patriot Man from New Jersey, New York area. Yes. Yes. So when you say affiliate program, you mean these boys go out and break their legs if they don't buy your books? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I send them boys out. You know, I just, you know. We might have a so, guy so come and talk to you it. about the thing. If you don't get the thing, yeah, you, the thing. you know. That's right. You got to get the thing. I've got my you know, so, I'm not so, telling so, you you got to get the thing. But if you don't get the thing, it might hurt you a little bit. Yeah. So where, where I'm at in Jersey, if y'all ever seen The Sopranos, you know, and there's that one episode where they have the uh, the guy who's the interior what? decorator. He killed, you know, 15 che uh, Czechoslovakians. He was an interior decorator in The Sopranos. That's where I'm at. So we're where all the bodies are buried. So, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's that sounds about right, right there. We uh, we police All around, the- and we got some connections to uh, to the boys in in, in, in the, the borough area up north. So. So, so, so in a in in about five hundred years when or a thousand years when archaeologists are digging up that area, they're going to go. All these motherfuckers died in kind of the same way in this area. They're crazy. They they got yeah, one some ritual. Some religious ritual. They, yeah, they yeah. buried everybody in these fifty-five gallon drums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. did they put it? They didn't. They didn't bother with embalming them. They just cut their hands off and their teeth out and <laughs> filled it with concrete. That's weird. And, and that's the <laughs> funny thing when when you go out in the pines. And you're in like, you know, there's there's obviously the, the trails you go down. But there's also other ones that just, you know, people don't go down. You know, they're, they're paper trails on a map or, you know, um, from word of mouth. You really don't know what you're driving over. And you just don't want to ask. So uh, the Pine Barrens, uh, if they ever excavated that whole thing, there would be a lot of investigations opened because of what what the what what the uh, our boys from up north brought down south in some old caddy in the trunk. So, yes. That well, is if accurate. they had just bought fucking Matt's books, they would have been alright. <laughs> exactly, they right? right man. They, yeah, <laughs> all you gotta do all you gotta do is buy the book and, <laughs> and shave a couple of points off the Chiefs game. <laughs> you gotta pay the big. You gotta pay the big. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you gotta do. <laughs> Shave a couple of points off the Chiefs game, and that's all you gotta do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, again, I'm a yeah. I'm a New Jersey Italian, so you know, take with that what you will. So I, I may I may may not know some people. So you're an appreciator of great food. That's that is that is very true. That's a fact, dude. It, that that's that's why I'm I'm sad that Krisky's not with us because. You know, Chris Christie hit him. <laughs> his ball breaking on Chris Christie is legendary. That kid needs to, and I've told him this in person, that kid needs to have a stand-up routine where all he does is bust on Chris Christie for like 30 minutes. He'll be a billionaire. Like, oh, yeah, 100%. People, people will fucking throw money at him. Yeah, I had him. Uh, I had him get started while he was cooking while we were camping over at the uh, Self Reliance Festival, and like he almost burned all the food. He was so busy busting through. <laughs> when I when I look at uh, Chris Christie, I think of a bunch of old made men <clears throat> that grew up with a kid that that they really didn't like, and so they convinced him he was more powerful. They convinced him that he was a made man when he wasn't. And then uh, they just yeah. all sit back and they laugh about the shit that he does. Yeah. Well, look, he, he wasn't a made man, and then there's, there's, there's just nothing we could have done. There's just nothing we could have done. Right? Nothing. <laughs> Billy Bats. Not yeah. my thing. Not my thing. I didn't make Billy it. Bats. Not my thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I, again, I'll say this. I said this last time he was brought up, and, I, and I'll say it as, as someone who obviously he was a governor for me for, for eight years. Um, he. He was Trump before he was. He was Trump before Trump was Trump, and he had a very certain charm to it. He lost it. Well, where he really fucked himself was like the last two years. The whole the beaches are shut down, but I'm gonna have a helicopter fly over, take a picture of me sunbathing my, you know, orbital space on a beach. 
Uh, he lost. Everyone else can't go and enjoy the beach. That's where his downfall was. But he was Trump before was, Trump was Trump. I don't. I don't it know. Was, I, I, first off, was, I'm not going to say he was Trump before Trump going to Trump, uh, or before Trump was Trump. I'm also not going to say I don't. I don't even know what the whole Sunning Space thing is. What, oh, I will say okay, is yeah. what, what I will say is that is I'm I'm way over on the other side of this giant country here, but I will say that his downfall is none of us could figure out whether he was Tweedledee or Tweedledum. Yep. Damn. Damn. <laughs> I was gonna say when he hugged Obama, that was that that was the downfall. That was so the conservatives. One yeah, I mean, I mean, it, can, yeah. can I be honest? I mean, I'm conservative. Like uh, for us. Like we got just absolutely walloped and it was basically, he was saying is like, all I want to do is fix our state. I mean, when I tell you that when the national guard deployed to my area, yeah, um, I knew one of the guys who was in the guard unit, the, 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 the army corps engineers already came through and plowed a lot of the sand off of the main boulevard, just so we could have movement. And the uh, sand stacks on either side of the road were 24 feet high. Like, it was, you couldn't do anything. And shout out to, and this is a, 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 a great pivot, the only reason that this particular area even knew what was going on was because a select few ham radio operators stayed with the volunteer fire service and go. we're on the second floor of the fire station. Cause the first floor was about eight feet deep with water. They were on the second floor, literally with a coast guard helicopter on station 24 seven to get them out, literally transmitting conditions. You're talking to Andrew. Yes. It, it, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Sandy. Sandy. What's that? Right? that was hurricane Sandy. 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 Yeah, we're talking Sandy. Yeah. Okay, okay. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, right, so, 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 so forgive me. Yeah. If if I might getting away from the calzones, right? Are we going to talk <laughs> Spanish Civil War? Yeah, that, that's I was going to say that 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 is where we're headed. Yeah, we yeah, got yeah. our we got our introduction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, we we can get back to the Sicilian Civil War. That's oh no, no I want to talk Spanish Civil War because the developments that for me are quite interesting. So let's go. All right. I, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I saw it in the documentary, The Sopranos. You know. <laughs> the documentary. It was a, My, the great. I, I'm out here on the West Coast. Our documentaries are more like Sicario. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, y'all had Mickey Cohen and, and that crime syndicate out yeah, there. Yeah, well, we did have Meyer Lansky and. And Bugsy yeah. Siegel and all them come out here and set up, you know, two of our favorite places to uh, sin Las Vegas and L.A. Yeah. Right? Lansky yeah. was a genius. My oh, Lansky straight he was. You're damn genius. straight he was. Yeah. He was a fucking genius, man. Yeah. Th that guy knew. I mean, if you if you watch Casino and Sam Rothstein. So just watch his interviews, actually. Watch his, yeah. in, his actual no shit interviews. Yeah. So, so Rothstein was the guy that, uh, well, Lansky was the guy that, that Sam Ace wanted to be. It, and, and the thing was, was that Lansky knew he, he had an eidetic memory to where he, he knew so many tiny little details about, athletes about every sport he knew everything man 
This guy, I mean, he controlled all of the rackets when it came to sports betting, when it came to setting up a casino. How well, not, people- not just that, it was also who was in power, who was in favor, exactly. who was out of favor. Yep. You know, we, we forget that we knew power all. is not money, right? Power no. is relationships. And what Meyer Lansky understood better than anything else was the ebb and flow of relationships. And then... How did that get monetized? Yep. Exactly. That's what he understood. Exactly. And it's also why he never went to prison. I was going to say, he's the only one who made it out. Yeah, that's right. That's why he, ne- and right. he, he survived. He died an old man. He never went to prison. The one area, the only one playing the odds and understanding this, we'll take this back to the Spanish Civil War because I think this is important, not the Meyer Lansky connection. But the one area that Meyer Lansky failed in was in his own Jewish community. Yeah. That was the one the one odds. He could play the odds with the Italians and the Irish uh, and the Germans and all the others. But the one community that he could not uh, understand the relationships to play the odds was the uh, Israeli Jewish community. And that's yeah. why they didn't let him in. Right. Yeah, I, if, I, I would agree a thousand percent with that. Okay, so so now we go to Spain, right? Where yeah. where what are they? So, what is the? And I just came back from Spain about three weeks ago. The the Spanish government. So the Spanish government, um, their latest move. So we mm. we've had this back the and ban Catholicism in public. Is that the one yep. you're talking about? Yeah, that's what we got started. Uh, and. You know, th- this is a flashpoint for Spanish culture, and and you know, uh, which is why I'm, I'm so. Well, I don't delighted. think it's a flashpoint. I I don't. I think it's a no? test. It's a test oh. to see if it's a flashpoint. I know that that's fascinating, right? That I think it's a test, right? And it's a test to see, right? So. If we look at the first Spanish Civil War, it was a test. And it was a test, first off, if Western Europeans would go down the the Marxist communist path that the Russian peoples had 20 years prior. Well, actually, not not 20 years, about 10 years prior, because we have to we forget the uh, 1917 to 1929 Civil War. Right. So what happened in the first Spanish Civil War was a test by the House of Saxe Coburg and Gotha, right back to the earlier part of this conversation, um, which His Majesty, uh, forgive me, I forgot King of Spain's Felipe, right? Felipe the Sixth. Um, Correct. His Majesty is actually a descendant of the House of Saxe Coburg and Gotha on two different lines. So, what was happening in Spain in the late 1920s, early 1930s was a test in Western Europe to see if a highly advanced civilization, uh, and I mean an actual civilizational people, because we think, we forget that Spain, while it's only Spanish speaking in Europe, is also a civilizational people because there are many countries around the world which speak Spanish and adhere to Spanish culture and uh, uh, well, Spanish culture, food, etc. Right. 
So Spain is a Western civilization, civilizational people. And what was happening in the late 1920s, early 30s, which led to the Civil War in uh, 36, really 35 through 39, was a test to see if Western European peoples, like Eastern European, uh, Eastern European peoples in Russia 10 years prior, would fall for communism, Marxism, or fascism slash Nazism. And what happened? Which path did the, uh, what path ultimately showed itself in Spain in the 1920s? And uh, well, actually it didn't show itself till the 1930s. Was it Marxist or was it fascist? It was fascist. It was fascist. And so what's happening in Spain right now is the exact fucking thing, almost exactly 100 years later, it's a test. Will Western civilizations go Marxist or will they go fascist? And we don't know the answer to that yet. And it's all a mechanism of control. It's all. So here's the thing. The House of Saxa. So people that need to take a look, uh, folks, at the Gotha, G-O-T-H-A program, the Gotha program. The House of Saxa, Coburg and Gotha. And I say this with great regret because I am deeply, deeply British. Um, but these people are Germans and they're not. Norman uh, or even prior British um, Britons, but they are the ruling house and they have been the ruling house since the 1840s. But you have to look up the house of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha to understand what's happening in Europe and the UK and thereby the British Empire and thereby the United States, because until this very year, 2023, the United States has actually never been independent from the British Empire. That's an illusion. Um, and this one house, again, since the 1840s in the British Empire, and actually uh, another century prior in on the continent, the house of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha has been in control. And the house of Saxe and, and developed the Gotha pro program that they publicly released in the late 1800s, but it had earlier been developed. And it is this, they don't care if the, the regime is fascist, communist, or socialist. They don't care. They will still dominate because they released all three of those into the world. And that's public information. You can go look it up, right? Like who funded the communist revolution, uh, Lenin and Trotsky in Russia? It was the Germans. Who funded jihad in the Middle East in the late, this is back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. It was the Germans who went to the Ottomans and the Ottoman people and said, you should jihad against the British Empire and the French. So this one house, and because of the euro dollar system until this very year with the move from Liber to Sofer, 
This one house has been in control of the world for over 160 years, actually 180 years. And now what we're about to find out, because the Americans this very year, and you got to give Powell some credit, you can hate the Fed all you want, but you got to understand he's the best enemy you got, right? The Fed. The Fed pushed through and got into law last year and enacted this year a thing called SOFR, the um, Swaps Overnight Financial Rate, right? From what Americans don't understand is that you never gained independence in 1776. What you gained was a settlement between the British Empire and a colony. Go ahead and have all of the appearance of self-rule, but you will not be independent because we will control the interest rate on lending and banking. And because of that, we will control the colonies. And the only reason that the crown allowed that back in the 1776 is because it was fighting the first world war against the Spanish and French. I know Tom, by, by the way, whoever B. B. Tor is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what That's happened? That's why I was grinning ear to ear when I saw that. That's okay. Oh, yes. Uh, um, and I, I'm a, I'm a British nobility myself. This is my family and not, not these fuckers, not these Germans, right? But on the Viking Norman side, on both sides of my family, my mother and my father. So the Americans have finally earned independence this year with the bringing in of law of Sofer. And now we are fighting out whether the Americans will actually be independent or not. And the problem is, is that you are, we, because I was born here, by the way, but of British parents, um, we here in America are riddled right through with Tories. You know that term from 200 some odd years ago? Oh, I'm familiar with it. Right? People I'm don't familiar. realize I'm sure that. The other, the other patrons in here are familiar with it as well. Most Americans don't realize, well, you, you all do, of course, but most Americans don't realize that very few, quote unquote, redcoats died in the civil became revolutionary war. Most of the people that died were colonists who were loyal to the crown. They were loyal. And the truth of the matter is every one of us, at least I, I would say everyone I know in this room, would also be loyalist, to be honest. We, so we got to be very careful with looking back at our history. Um, point I'm getting at is this. What's happening in Spain right now is a test in Europe and the West to see if fascism or Marxism takes with the people. I think that's interesting. Um, I I don't disagree at all. Uh, at at the the fifty thousand foot level, you know the the finances that it takes to put these things in. I mean, what we know to to back up your points. I mean, what we know about the Russian Revolution, 
and the financing that went into it. I mean, it, it's it's public knowledge. If anybody wants to look into this, we Wall Street financed the Russian Revolution. You know, why did Ingalls? Well, let, let, let's let's, let's be more further. precise. Let's be let's be more precise. Wall Street, at the behest of <clears throat> the City of London, financed yeah. the Russian Revolution, putting those funds through Germany. But all of that again was that was a family feud in the house of Saxe Coburg and Gotha, because His Majesty. Nicholas II was the first cousin, because they shared the same grandmother, of King George V, whose sword, excuse me, King George IV, whose sword, by the way, I literally had in my hands uh, two weeks ago, um, uh, ceremonial sword. The House of Saxe Coburg and Gotha has been in a family feud for over 140 years. And we're all still caught up in it. 180 years, excuse me. We're all still caught up in it. And part of the family funded the death of other parts of the family. If you look at King George IV's photograph and His Majesty uh, Tsar Nicholas II, they almost look like twins. And His Majesty King George allowed his first cousin, who he grew up with, to be slaughtered. Mm. I mean, it's all facts. Yeah. And by the way, uh, in 1920s, uh, Spain, it's the same family. Yeah. No, it's it's a little bit further removed, but it's still directly connected. So Spain, you know, Spain, the Spanish civilization and empire peaked in the 15, uh, late 1500s and really started to see its nadir and never has recovered uh, since the early 1600s with when a storm actually, not even Queen Elizabeth and her people, but a storm destroyed the Spanish Armada uh, coming up the Thames River, right? Right. Spain has never recovered since the Spanish Empire has never recovered since then. Now the Spanish civilization goes on and is very strong. And I'm down here in a border town in Texas right now, and I I see the Spanish. I deal with the Spanish Empire every day, with Mexicans and South and Central Americans, and have a lot of respect for it. But point is, is this. We use Spain 100, that house, Saxe Coburn and Gotha, used um, Spain as a way to test whether Western civilization wanted or, or would fall for Marxism or fascism. And Spain went for fascism. Well, what happened right after that? Nazi Germany. Right. And they funded that, too. That, well, that, exactly that's, right. Well, that's that's John John Pierpoint, John Pierpoint Morgan and John right. D. Rockefeller, and that's all public information as well. Exactly. But they were also they were directed by the City of London, which set interest rates. Right, which is what drives all finance, all capital. So. I believe very firmly, like Ukraine, Ukraine, and everything that's happening right now, right? 
is another attempt by the British Empire, perhaps the last attempt, to see if Western civilization will fall for the two great murderous genocidal lies that are either Marxism or Nazism, really, um, which are both the same lie with just a different face. And we are now a hundred years, just about a hundred years on, using Spain again to test that. I, uh, man, I agree a hundred percent. And and the only thing I'm going to add to this, and and I'm going to break it down, and in the most blue collar way possible here. Anybody that that you know disputes any of this stuff. Hey, you know, that, that's all right. We're free thinker. We are free thinkers and beer drinkers. But or wine think drinkers. about it like this. Yeah. Well, yeah, rum. Oh, I, rum. Oh, who's all the pirates? Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> fight dirty. Drink rum. Fuck the rules. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, uh, is, is no, a great Irish. Irish. That's the Irish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. That's the oily. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. It, but but breaking it down, um, kind of something that, that my wife pointed out to me when, and, and this was many years back when um, uh, Harry got married, um, you know, it, it kind of. Excuse me a second. His Royal Highness, go ahead. Prince yeah. Harry, yeah, there you go. Uh, but when he got married, what did he do immediately? What was the immediate thing that he did? Uh, I'm going to be honest. Right I, have no idea. I have no idea. They took a tour of the United States. Ah, uh, yes, the colonies. Uh, the colonies. Right. Now, when a royal issue is married right a dowry is issued um you are you 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 take your bride yeah right it, 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 a dowry is paid you take your charter. bride what, you, what you're gonna ask called a charter yeah, yeah yes charter. yes there yeah. you go the royal you. charter yeah you you take a tour of your fiefdom this is what all we have this is us. This is what we have. This is a royal tradition. It's, and, and every royal family across the world has always done this. Always. Any civilization that you look at across the world, this is what they do. So why is it that Harry, instead of, I, I'm sorry, Prince Harry, why is it that instead of him touring Britain, why did he come to the United States? And they took a tour of the United States. Oh, he wasn't that. the first royal to do that, by the way. Uh, so I want to I want to I want to pause you there, okay? Um. So, a peregrination of your lands is what you're getting at, right? Um. I'm going to say from personal experience, not me directly, but two of my two of the guys that work 
uh, with me in brain injuries. In fact, the two guys that saved my life, right? Um, so give me a second. Where do you, if you are a prince that has been excommunicado and is no longer welcome in the lands of your royal betters and peers, where do you go if France is no longer that answer? Correct. That so, he was not the forest royal to do this. No, 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 no. You're not hearing me. Okay. Um, his great uncle, excuse me a second, great, great uncle was excommunicado from England when he abdicated the throne, quote unquote, for uh, a divorcee, but that's not the reason he was excommunicado. The reason he was excommunicado is because he actually betrayed the British crown to the Nazis. Um, where was he excommunicated? He was excommunicated to France. But by the time of Harry, France was no longer the... If you are a royal and you are on the outs amongst your own people, you want to go to where you're going to be uh, recognized and treated yet as a royal. And if France is straight up out of the picture, uh, where do you go today? You go to the United States. I don't disagree. Right? I don't disagree. But they, there were royals that have done this. They've taken a, a tour. Yeah, uh, but not, not for the not for the thing that you are implying. In Canada, yeah. in Can no, so sorry, but this is actually the case. Yeah, okay. In Canada, yes. In Canada, the House of Windsor, Saxe Coburg and Gotha, still owns vast tracts of land. They do not in the United States. In fact, they own virtually nothing here in the United States. But in Canada, they still actually own vast tracts of land directly. Uh, but I, I will say this directly. His it Royal Highness is dealing with severe brain injuries, like a lot of us are, from his time in service uh, and in school, etc. Because of that, he was open to a harpy who, if you look at her family and her education, she was raised and educated from the beginning of her life to corrupt some great man. And he was susceptible <laughs> to that. I um, love how you put that, man. I love that. It's the fact. It's just the fucking fact. Yeah, I love it. I right? love it. So yeah. uh, the truth of the matter is, I know people that literally British and Americans that have served oh, directly yeah. with his Royal Highness and they love him. I mean, they yeah. love him as a person, right? I, I'm not, uh, and I, and I will say this directly. 
a little bit of a sign. I'm going to bring it back to the Spanish, right? Civil war slash test of Western civilization. Um, in the British system, a Charles has always brought the British empire and the British crown, right? Which is the Scottish and English crowns and the Northern Ireland crowns to near ruin. And it's always a William that recovers it. And, and he is still the king, still my king. I still respect him. Uh, but I have no faith and confidence in King Charles III. But yeah. it's interesting that his son, who is the next in line to the crown, is named William. Because, I mean, I mean, literally going back I, a I thousand fucking years, this is the pattern, right? Yeah. And and here's what I'd say about Harry, and then let's, let's please do get back to Spain, because it is really actually rather important. Yep. I've been having conversations with a whole number of people at different levels in different parts of the world that if I was to try to weaken the future of the British crown, I would, I would find a way to sever the relationship between the two brothers. That's what I would do as a Green Beret, right? As a as a unconventional what, warfare guy. That's what uh, Oprah Winfrey has done. Okay, now you piqued my interest because I don't even know mm-hmm. what that's Harper referenced. Productions. Uh, oh man, Harper Productions. That's oh, the book. The book deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 See, it goes oh away. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, intentionally done. It it's all intentionally done to weaken the crown. Right. Now here's right. the thing. Who, here's the thing. Who is the I will club? never. I swore an oath to the Constitution of the United States, and I will adhere to that to the day that I die. At the same time, and I mean that honestly, but the on, but deep, deep down, my loyalty is to the Crown of England and Scotland, right? Which my ancestors fought directly. William Wallace, right? Right. I. I I will honor my oath to the Constitution of the United States to the day I die. But I am also very loyal and respectful of the crown. Right? All right. So back to Spain. Spain is a test. Spain is a test. And Spain is a test by the World Economic Forum to see and if if Western civilization, back to the Gotha project, same fucking family, by the way. So, sorry, sorry, I got to touch another piece. Forgive me. Ah, you're good. All right. Here's the thing about William and Harry. Okay. Every time I hear Harry, I think fucking uh, Harry Potter, right? But anyway, um, the schism in the British system happened in the War of the Roses in the uh, 13th century, uh, 12th and 13th century. It was a severing of the continuation from Alfred the Great and Ethelred of the English crown in the War of the Roses. And the crown was taken by Tudors uh, from the Plantagenets, who were the rightful heirs. William, His Royal Highness, the Duke of Cambridge, is literally the first British royal 
in all the time in between to be a descendant of the Plantagenets through his mother, Princess Diana. All right, so sorry, putting that out there. And by the way, Harry's the same yeah. because of his mother. Okay. Right. Spain is a test to see by the house of Saxe, Coburn, and Gotha that sits on all of the 10 hereditary crowns of Europe right now and is in much of the banking uh, and financial world, etc., to see if Western civilization is going to go for Marxism now or for fascism again. And what's happening to Spain, and by the way, in Argentina, because that's all a piece, right, is a test to see Venezuela if, too. And, and Venezuela, right? But Venezuela proved to not be a success, right? Because it didn't get the buy-in of the populace. And so what's being tested right now in Spain primarily uh, uh, and in Argentina as well is, is fascism what the people are ready for? Are the people scared enough about the immigrants? Are the people scared enough about the loss of their culture and civilization to, if not welcome in or usher in, to at least allow the rise of fascists and then look the other way, excuse me, the other way as some quote unquote uh, final solution is put in place for the undesirables. Well, I'd say we, there's certainly a strong case to be made for us moving in that direction. Um, guys, what, what say y'all? Um, I, I think that there's, uh, this is a test case, too, of the uh, greater war on Christianity that I've been pointing out that's been going on. They want to see what sort of a backlash they're going to get on it. What else? Well, I'll say this. You know, as a Catholic, I'll say um, I saw that footage out of Spain and the whole concept that, you know, the fact that they were sitting there doing the rosaries and they are being threatened by police. And and, and here's the thing, and, and, and this is what pissed me off, is that those cops know better. They know that the people who are standing in that street right there are not a threat to them. They are literally praying the rosary. And they're going to have that response. But, God forbid, a group of migrants rape some 15-year-old woman. That ah, release without bail. It's all right. We'll deal with them. At some point, you know, I stopped feeling bad for Europe about, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago. Where, I'm sorry, if, if y'all haven't picked it up enough that... This is happening. You know, it started happening in Germany a little bit, but again, you have those guys who go from zero to sixty, and they got they got zapped up by whatever you know the German intelligence is of extremist attitude, or whatever. But at some point, you're like, what do you expect from me? And also, there's no one coming to save you. And so, watching what's going on in in Spain, particularly where now you're threatening 
you're not threatening like these Antifa types or anything like that. You're in, these are 75 year old women with rosary beads. All right, so let me know how that you guys launching. Well, what did what did they, uh, and whatnot again? So how's that going to look on TV? Okay, so hang on a second. So hang on a second. Um, in a hundred, almost a hundred years ago, what was the fight in Spain? What? So, okay, so give me a second. Let me let me put it a slightly different way. If I want to usher in, if I'm if I'm Germanic, which is the House of Saxe, Coburg and Gotha, if I'm Germanic. <clears throat> I'm not a Marxist. I'm a I'm a Nazi. Literally. And what do I have to do to get the people to uh, allow me to rise to power and then to look the other way when I do my ethnic cleansing? What do I have to scare them with? And and to your point about Spain, about when you're talking about the Rosary and the old, what did they do? What what did the Marxists do? in the early years of the Spanish um, Civil War that led to the rise of Franco and, and specifically related to Catholics and dead Catholics in particular. They dug up nuns. They dug up nuns, nuns and they put them on public display. Yep, and they, yep, yes. Right, so if, if, if you are going, to, okay, so again, Operation Paperclip, right? Um, if you are going to usher in a much broader and much wider uh, final solution to the non-white ethnic problem, what would you do to stir your people into such a state that they would allow that to, to occur? I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I would imagine it would be. I mean, I don't know if this is your point, but I mean, uh, to me, a the the advent of foreigners, like I, I really don't know what would get me would, to that point. I would, I would flood the, I would flood the community with non-native, non-local peoples, and I would use the government and various laws to basically almost outlaw the native culture and population. See, I was going to allude to something like that, but I thought that would have been wrong because it was too obvious. So, Well, these fuckers aren't brilliant, by the way. No. <laughs> to your point, yeah. I was like, well, I think, I was like, is that a trick question? Like, let me just take like the most like milk toast answer I could because I want to learn, but also I don't want to sound like a fucking idiot. So that's what I was going to say. It's like, that seems like that would be the process that you go through, right? It's what I would do as a Green Beret. I mean, exactly, I was, right? Yeah. Right? It's literally, if I, if I was trying to get a people to over stabilization, yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Damn, yeah. you just made me feel smart because I literally was like, Man, I know he's smart and he's asking me this question. I got to overthink this. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, so brilliant statement you just made, by the way. Just brilliant statement. This is what they are counting on. They are counting on good people thinking that they have to overthink things to understand it. That's a good point. That's what they're counting on. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is we need to stop trying to outthink idiots. Yeah. 
malevolent idiots. They're not smart, but they are clever. Like, like but ninety percent of Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, what, no, you're that? absolutely right, bro. You're absolutely right, man. That is, I'm glad I could be an example for that live on air. But exactly that. Okay, well, we're we're sorry to point to New Jersey as the example. It, it's okay. We can take <laughs> so much abuse. It's okay. We'll take it. <laughs> At least you have all those gardens. That that and I'll eat my pork roll tomorrow morning. I'll be happy. It's all right. <laughs> all right. So I want to touch on something, right? Because uh, uh, Tor just mentioned something, right? Ireland. Ireland is another test. What's happening in Ireland right now is another test. Right. So what's happening in Spain and what's happening in Ireland are not separate. These are all part of a thing. And it, the part of the thing is, are the people now, want, will the people usher in a Marxist totalitarian system or a Nazi totalitarian system? And those are the tests that are happening now. And they don't have the answer yet. With so they're not just, done. Yeah. That, that with with four minutes left on the clock and and before we have to punch unfortunately before we have to punch out and uh which is one of the limitations i hate hate about doing this the, the live show on this platform and uh we might be able to fix that in the coming year we're, we're gonna work on it I, i've had to have one one thing at a time but um conor mcgregor who is i i think he's Stardom transcends the ability to isolate one to one particular role or genre. You say Conor? Mean, he, Conor McGregor. He he is he he is probably he's one of the biggest names in sports. Still, even after a loss, which was I mean. You know, and, and and that was the 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 last big UFC fight that I watched was uh, Conor McGregor, and because um, you know I, I I think the guy's a phenomenal fighter, but he more importantly he's an entertainer. Um, but he well, he wins so much. I wouldn't diminish him. I, I would say this: Conor McGregor is a Brit in the old old ways of Brits, and Conor McGregor. Well, Will now, not, your point. He will you, not. He will not support fascism or you know Nazism or communism. Right. He will. Right. He will. He is primordial Brit, and he will stand right. and fight. And the question becomes this: and I and I love that you brought up Connor because he really is. There is no equivalent anywhere else in the world to Connor. Connor is a lord in the old model that could call warriors to his banner in an instant yeah in a fucking right and he does not give a flying fuck for all the politics and everything else because he doesn't have to because those men will flock to his banner because he is a man and he is a man that loves and cares for his culture, his civilization, and his people, and who doesn't have to go down the Nazi 
fascist or Marxist communist path to have that power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly right. And um, that, that was the answer I was looking for was, you know, where, where this is headed. Because I think that there's a lot of people that are trying to uh, lionize him in one direction or another, you know, and, and, I, I looked at the whole thing and it, it and I had several uh, uh, Brits that that threw a little bit of uh, heat at me when uh, he was putting his statements out and I uh, was sharing them and they were like oh you know those, those are pictures of the IRA and they're a bunch of lefties and like look I I'm 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 very well aware of contemporary. Uh, Sinn Féin politics probably better than you are. Uh, not not anyone in here, but to the liberal pundits out there, whether they were American or British or Irish or whoever. I'm more in, intertwined with that than you are. So shut the fuck up. Uh, I know what I'm talking about. I was, I, raised I, I, to believe, I, I was raised to believe my father was Irish, and I only found out about three years ago through a DNA test that he wasn't. Yeah. It, so it, I've well, been, I, I may or may not been a fan or I never supported, but I might or might not look the other way with gun running to the fucking IRA back in the 80s. But Sinn, Sinn Fein, the, with Jerry Adams, I know the whole history behind that too. Sinn Fein um, is the IRA. The Sinn Fein was, right. it's the same thing we find in the Philippines with the MNL, MNLF and the MILF. Right. One is, the, one is the pugilistic, violent faction, and the other is this supposedly counter-faction that spun out of the same faction that is the political arm. It's the same thing with Hamas, right, Hezbollah, etc. Right. In fact, they learned they, that from the Irish. They, they started as an Irish nationalist organization. They're Republicans. The right. truth of the matter is they label them as leftists now, but the truth of the matter is the IRA are Republicans. They believe in a re, uh, self-rule Republicanist form of government. And they get labeled leftists now as a means to diminish and uh, uh, take away from them. And it's actually got some truth because they have become a bit Marxist, socialist, etc. since Ireland became independent. But down right. underneath and in Northern Ireland still, that Republican, you know, and I don't mean that Democrat Republican, I mean it in the old British sense, right? The parliamentarian Republican uh, sense is still very deeply in the people, right? It's called self-rule. And, and Connor's waking that up. Can, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, we're, we're, about, to, we're about to get evicted. But uh, you, brother, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. With that said, folks, bottoms up. Last call for alcohol. Thank you for being with us. Brushbeater.store for all your communications needs. 